Mean O'Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kevin Waits again, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Safe Conversations, where we sit around, we unpack our bags, we talk about race, culture, everything uh, that makes us different, but everything that makes us the same, with hopes that we could all move forward somehow together. Tonight, I'm extremely excited to welcome our guest, Cedric Scott. Cedric. I need your help with something because, you know, I always like to talk to other people just to make sure I'm not tripping, you know what I'm saying? Get another perspective. So, you know, what happened uh, involving the Tyree Nichols situation, not to compare, you cannot compare tragedies. You know what I'm saying? It was tragic what happened to George Floyd. It, it, this is tragedy all over again. You cannot compare the two. But for me, I'm seeing a little... And I'm feeling some type of way about it. I'm seeing a difference in terms of the the overall response, right? And 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 you know, and 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 you know, this is where we have safe conversations. So I feel safe and, and just talking because I feel like I'm a pretty reasonable person. And but I'm feeling like, and you and and, and I want you to keep it real with me. I want you to really hear what I'm saying and keep it real with me. If I'm off track, I want you to say, Kev, no, nah, I, 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 I don't. But I'm feeling a little some type of way because I almost believe that if the officers uh, were Caucasian in, in, in this instant, the response would be different. The response would be overwhelming. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 it, it just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, again, if I'm off base or I'm seeing it wrong, step in and tell me. But, but I just feel like because it's almost like because the officers were African American and Tyree Nichols was African American, the response is not the same, and that bothers me. That bothers me. Can you understand what I'm saying, or do you think I'm off base? Or what's your take on that? No, I, I definitely see what you're talking about in terms of just overall across the board. Um, some of the conversations that I've heard and somewhat been involved in, you know, of course, again, it's, it's, it's different, right? It's, and I don't, I don't want to use the term double standard, but mm -hmm. in some ways it does have a different tinge to it, if that makes sense. And, you know, I think the viewpoint is, considering how really, I guess you, if you want to say both sides, right. Um, you know, black and white are, are talking about it and how we're, I guess, involved in our experience in it. And it's just interesting and actually kind of disheartening. Some of the rhetoric that I've heard in this context, where it's kind of like, like I've heard the, the term, like basically it was like, Oh, this was, this was gang like, right. Like that whole thing. So, but I've never heard that on the other side, right? When it was, if it was a group of white officers, I've never heard that terminology be used in that same context. Same scenario, not necessarily completely same, but similar. And then ultimately the outcome, right? Is the same thing, right? You have a dead yeah. younger black male. And, you know, we were just talking about how there are too many of these stories, but with this one, as you mentioned, yeah. Yeah, it feels different. And it feels different from everybody, even 
you know, when I heard about how the officers were, the officers were disciplined or what the reprimand was and the turnaround time for that, even in consideration in comparison to other scenarios, I was like, even that's different. And, you know, just being somebody who, who grew up in an environment where the police aren't necessarily, weren't necessarily always our friends. And for me, I, I grew up, I'm, you know, I was never in trouble. I was, you know, I was, I was that kid that people said, you go in the house, right? <laughs> you stay out the way. But I also lost a lot of people to a lot of different situations, you know, whether it was prison or, or death, um, and, or just even, you know, situations and run-ins with the police, things that I've experienced. But yeah, with this one, there's, there's a definitely different feel to it. Um, and I think that a lot of people are feeling the same thing and would, and would share that sentiment. So I, I'm, I'm in there with you. Yeah, Cedric, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Uh, you know, again, I know, you know, I, you know, I'm ready to hear about all the great things you do for our young people, but I, I just, you know, we, it, there's no way we could come on here uh, and, and act like uh, the death of Tyree Nichols didn't happen. So again, you know, much prayers, much respect for his family, his community, uh, the city of Memphis, this country. You know what I'm saying? We we need to find a way and we need to stop focusing on what, from my opinion. We focus on what and we're reactive and, and we really got to dig in and focus on why. We got to focus on why. You know what I'm saying? Because these things, being a law enforcement officer for 24 years, these things do not just randomly happen. You know what I'm saying? It has to be a, a, a part of the culture. It has to be some things along the way um, that 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 led up to this. These things just don't randomly happen. So uh, prayers for the entire situation, but we need to focus on the why. Uh, so you talked about your background in education. And, and, and so what led you to to having passion to help young people? I think that started early. Um, you know, just again, being from a larger family, having a lot of experience directly with, you know, younger people and just really thinking about the the issues that I saw being a young man, uh, the disparities within my neighborhood, within my community, within my family. And even thinking about those who were close to me who didn't necessarily have I guess the, I won't say the tools or even just the the support um, that they needed um, to to make it to where we knew people could, right? You see people with a lot of potential, even growing up, and a lot of that is cut short for whatever reason. And for me, it just felt like I would be doing everybody that I've come across in life who has had an impact on me, I feel like I'll be doing them a disservice if I didn't find a way to give back and, and, and be of support. And honestly, you get to a point where, you know, for a lot of a lot of folks, I think, and, and you know, growing up in this, the type of situation that I did, that, you know, when you get to a certain aspect of life, we'll call it, you know, the quote unquote one who made it out, then you can get to a space of, you know, survivor's remorse or survivor's guilt, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I think that while that is a real 
thing and feeling and people should definitely identify with that and, and recognize it when it when it arises. I think that what has to actually really then happen and take hold is not stewing in it and figuring out, well, what am I doing so that this is not necessarily actually the truth of of what you know who it is? Because regardless of anything, people are going to have opinions and ultimately it's it's to me it's just about solution based thinking and that's what it meant to me to be able to not only you know make it to a certain point but to be able to reach back and you know provide somewhat of a blueprint and just information and, and resource and just do whatever I could um, and you know education was kind of the pathway for me to do that to to really you know get in break down some barriers and not just think so much about you know just my family my scenario my situation but you know, for other people. And, um, and I'll, I'll kind of close, you know, this, um, kind of little piece of it by saying that I was asked, um, what's, what's your why? I was asked that one time. And at first, of course, not naturally being a father, I thought about my son. I was like, you know, my son and you know, I got my wife. And I thought about, you know, no bigger than that, my family, you know, my community. But then what I landed on was my why is, the black child who's born on the day that I die. If I don't mm. leave anything behind for them, can I really say that I fulfilled what I believe my purpose is? And, yeah. you know, if you think about, you know, the, the pyramids and, and things like that, you look at hieroglyphics. I feel like everything mm. that I'm doing right now is essentially that something that somebody can come behind, read, you know, get the information from, um, extract what's needed and then have a little bit of a, a further starting point than I did. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I would land with that. That's pretty awesome, man. That's pretty awesome. Le leaving that legacy, you know what I'm saying? Feeling it's something to feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself. You know what I'm saying? I remember, you know, I was born in Harlem and, and my childhood was a little rough, but as I started to come out of my shell, just like you did, I felt that heaviness, you know what I'm saying? Not a burden, but the fact that I knew people in my family were dependent on me. You know what I'm saying? When I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, somebody was praying for me. You know what I'm saying? When I was down on myself, somebody was still cheering for me. You know what I'm saying? And and I always, it almost felt like I was afraid to fail. You know what I'm saying? And so you just, but being a part of something and knowing it that's bigger than you is a big deal. That's a big deal. So I appreciate you bringing that out to the forefront. Definitely. So, I mean, of course, I can kind of stem back to, um, you know, my my origins in teaching. And I did a lot of different work um, in, in terms of, you know, student enrichment and also intervention. And with that, you know, that's where I, I kind of got a feel for the ways and the approaches to, you know, provide instruction and, and, and information. And also, you know, you mentioned the excitement piece and the engagement. That's where I kind of got a little bit of that um, in terms of you know, thinking about inquiry-based practices and, and how do we you know tie in more real things uh, with the content. So it's not just you know teaching this curriculum the way that it's written, uh, but it actually has some meaning to it uh, in support of our, you know, our students, especially the ones who look like me. And for me, you know, I started out my, my teaching career in Southeast Washington, DC. So if anybody's familiar with the Anacostia area, then you know it's number one, it's historic. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of issues, a lot of a lot of problems. Um, and going into that community, um, you know, there were there were a lot of different challenges that I think not only I had to kind of overcome myself because I was just a newcomer, but my students 
And with that, I thought, well, what's going to make the most sense? What's meaningful? And then also being in the education system, I thought about, well, what are the things that are missing? Uh, and two main components that I landed on in terms of disparity that I saw were, number one, Black history being taught outside of the surface level uh, February, you know, kind of, you know, uh, interest and things that we see. And then number two, financial literacy. Uh, so what I did was I coupled these two things and I came up with a concept for looping in and tying in both black history as well as financial literacy into what they call core curriculum. Um, because one of the things that I heard was the reason why these things weren't necessarily tied to, uh, you know, everyday learning and teaching within the school was that they weren't in core curriculum. So I said, OK, I'm going I'm to put them in it. Um, and I created Melanated Mathematics. And uh, what Melanated Mathematics is, is essentially that the, the coupling of those things is math and financial literacy in the context of black history and culture. And when people ask, well, what does that look like? Um, well, initially what it started out as was um, me creating math problems uh, based in black history. So, for example, um, I can talk about, you know, the immortal cells of Henrietta Lacks, for example, um, and, and talk about it in the context of multiplication. Right. Because we know that when we look at cancer cells, they replicate and multiply. So I, I said, well, why not create some type of problem to educate about this woman who we're just now coming across in a lot of the uh, historical context and when, when we're reading and they just, you know, recently did a movie and things like that. But this is, you know, years ago. And with that, I created a problem based on that. And what I would do is basically just create YouTube videos uh, going through these problems, reading them aloud and then going through and showing the, the actual uh, solutions uh, on the screen. So it's kind of like, you know, a sharing screen on any of these platforms via like a whiteboard. Um, and breaking down the mathematics as well. So then you have those pieces. But um, after that, I thought about, well, you know, the black history infused is, is wonderful. Um, and, and from that, I actually was able to birth a, uh, a workbook series. So for kindergarten through fifth grade students, um, looping that in. Um, but then with that, I just thought about it. And at the time, I was learning more um, about finance and about investing and things like that for myself. And I always told myself, if, if I have information, it's my responsibility to make sure that I share it and not hold it for myself, right? It's not going to take anything from me to share information with other people, right? You know, the, the information's on me, the execution's on you. So with that, I, I said, okay, well, financial literacy is, is, is something that's not necessarily there either. I didn't, I didn't learn it growing up, right? So there's a lot of things right now with me about to be 33 years old that I'm learning um, related to finance. So I thought about what are some of the, the core principles, the core ideas um, and topics. Um, three that I landed on that I've written uh, content for up to this point are managing money, uh, real estate, and the basics of the stock market. Um, and with that, I've also partnered directly with and commissioned black artists to actually provide all the imagery. So I actually have characters um you know that were created by a gentleman that i went to school with when i was you know elementary middle school and from that i took those characters and they actually became the uh the financial experts so um you have managing money with mindful michael uh you have real estate with resourceful rissa and stocks with studious stacy and it just really breaks down uh, a lot of that content um you know it's high level information of course but this content that I've written is, is actually produced at three different levels, beginning as young as five years old. And I got the, I would say, you know, proof of concept 
uh, by actually teaching the content and material before taking it to market um, in uh, homeschool co-ops, primarily black homeschool co-ops um, that you know I was introduced to through Facebook, where we would just sign on, do a Zoom call. I would teach these classes at different levels. And from there, I think the rest is uh, history, as they say. I was sitting there listening to you. I'm like, man, this is this is pretty dope. So melanated what? Melanated mathematics. Where'd that name come from? I don't know. Creativity, I guess I can, it just came to me. Um, it, it just, when I, for whatever reason, I wasn't necessarily looking for a name. Uh, it just mm -hmm. kind of hit me. And from there it was, you know, I just took it and ran with it. But um, yeah, I mean, I can't necessarily, you know, give you any long drawn out, beautiful story <laughs> about the origins of the name. It just, you. it just came to me and uh, it just yeah. made sense. And you've actually taught this curriculum. I have. And you and so you what's the youngest kid that you that you've taught uh, this curriculum to five years old, I would say five, five, five years, years old, old, maybe six. Um, yep. OK. And. At the point that they caught on. Or you saw that little that little glimmer in their eye, you know, what I'm saying to where you OK, you're excited, they're engaged. The very first time. How did you feel? Uh, I mean, there, I, did it bring you to tears? Did it bring you to tears? You, you know what's crazy? When I was having the experience and actually doing doing the instruction and working with the students, um, you know, and it was one, through a, a, a co-op mm -hmm. again. It wasn't until I got feedback from parents and from people who were actually accessing the content and saw my videos and they said, you know what, this is this this is it this is this is something else that that right there it did bring me to tears um just because i knew what it meant in terms of looking at different generations in terms in in thinking about you know we all, we, we hear the hashtag representation matters but whenever i think it's it's actually being applied it there's a there's a different energy behind it and um yeah i mean got close to it with 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 working with the youth but I stayed in it, and but but it was when I got the uh, the actual feedback and response, then yeah, that one that that really kind of just it hit me, and I had to stop for a minute and just look at what I what I did. Yeah. At that moment, I think what what really stuck was the realization that I I, I couldn't stop. Mm. Mm. Wow, it's game changing what you're doing. Um, are you connected uh, with United Way at all? I'm not. Okay, I know they they do a lot of work to and in, in increase literacy for for kids because they you know they've looked at the studies and they, especially you know African American kids they've looked at the studies and and figured out that you know a lot of times we struggle for so many different reasons you know what I'm saying and we need to catch up so they they work on programs to actually get our kids kids up to speed and where they need to be um, gosh this is incredible so has it been a challenge. Uh, Getting people to buy in to what you're trying to get done? To some extent, I would say so. Um, you know, just thinking about, I think, considering like where I want to take it, um, because naturally, mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you create some type of content or, you know, resource, then you got to consider, well, where is this going to kind of live and breathe and grow? And, and, and oftentimes, whenever, you know, you're creating anything, you know, kind of curricular based, the first thought is schools. Right. So, but there's a lot of red tape there. Um, and when you're talking about public schools in particular, where 
you know, the the way that things appear, the the writing of it, just, you know, even even the research basis of it and, and, and proof, right? Saying that this this actually works and should be adopted, what have you. Um, so from that lens, I would say yes. But I think for anyone who has given it a shot um, and really like taking a look at it, you know, the, the response has been wonderful, you know, and, and oftentimes, you know, that comes from, you know, a lot of our families, uh, again, homeschool sector has been amazing. And, you know, there's, there's actually been a lot of growth in the homeschool community um, since, you know, COVID happened, which has, has been another supportive factor, which is why, which is why I, I saw the need for this, um, just considering how many parents were, and, you know, teaching their, their children more from home, which, you know, you need resources, need supports. Um, but I think ultimately the main thing for me at this point is, is really, you know, recharging the battery in my back and, and pushing this to see just how great it actually can be and, and getting it into the hands of, you know, the United Way and, and really digging into where does this make sense as an actual resource and support where it can be cultivated into something else. That is incredible, uh, Cedric. So I understand that you 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 created and you started a STEM scholarship program. Can you talk a little bit about STEM and how did you get to the point where you wanted to create a scholarship? Of course. STEM has always been a part of my life. Even before I even knew what STEM was, uh, I was always highly interested in science in particular. You know, all the other aspects of it, you know, you got science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Uh, but to me, all those things actually come together. And I think what, what actually happens a lot of times, and I, I just want to add this little caveat, is that oftentimes when we think about STEM, we think about it, in my opinion, in the wrong way. Um, and it's, it, it's often kind of siloed in nature, right? You look at the science, then you look at the tech, then you look at the engineering, you look at the math, all separate. To me, I like to say that STEM is a smoothie, right? You put it all into a blender, blend it up. There's no way that you can actually separate the components and the parts because you're going to find remnants of each one in the others. So for me, um, but it was always science. Um, it just stood out to me. So starting out really early in school, it was just something about, you know, learning about phenomena and think the way that the world works and how things happen. Um, and then I realized later on that I was really intrigued more so by chemistry um, and more the physical and natural sciences. So I actually started out, I had, and I think I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that a lot of this and the nurturing of my interest and love for STEM uh, was actually attached directly to and correlated with the some of the teachers that I had in my life, primarily thinking about two prominent black male teachers that I had growing up. Early on, elementary, going into middle school, I had uh, a black male teacher by the name of Mr. Preston, um, and he was a science teacher. And I mean, I couldn't wait to go to his class. <laughs> it was just, there was something about it. Um, and of course, his personality and things like that, but just just me being able to kind of just be me uh, and really dig into something that I really enjoyed and loved and, and did well in um, was, was amazing. And then once I got to high school, uh, 10th grade, I had a chemistry teacher by the name of Mr. Bynum. And at that point, 10th grade, when I took his class, I, I knew exactly what I was going to major in in college. Like it was, it was no question. 
um, because I already, already knew, you know, science. I love science. I love science. But, um, you know, did the science fairs and all those things growing up. Pennsylvania Junior Academy of Science, which was a you know science fair based in middle school where, you know, if you if you did well, uh, you could actually go and compete at you know the state level and then at the you know broader level for the country and things like that so did those things had those teachers and you know there's no coincidence you know that I landed in STEM myself as a, as a scientist and then even a, as an educator and what led me to the scholarship of course was um you know because the the scholarship actually is a fund uh, it's called the Julia Elizabeth Legacy Scholarship Fund and it's in it's uh, actually in memory of my mom um so I created that just to memorialize her, honor her, because she was really deep into education. And I, I like to joke uh, often and say that, you know, my, my mom actually wanted me to be a chemical engineer. I don't, I don't know where she got that from uh, to this day, but I, I like to joke and say that, you know, hopefully me becoming a chemist was, was, was good enough. <laughs> so, um, but that's where it came from, you know, and, and I think that looking at issues and disparities in, where we can actually do better um, in supporting, especially our young black youth, is through the STEM fields, right? In that world where we see the nature of all these things and where the future is headed. So my thinking is we have to make sure that we equip our young people to be prepared for those things because um, one thing that I've heard often is that we need to prepare children for jobs that don't exist yet. My thinking is we need to prepare children to create jobs that don't exist yet. So it's a little bit, you know, different tier thinking, but I, I feel like, you know, creating a scholarship, creating a fund um, is just my way of, you know, really fighting for my belief in STEM education, um, for the need for it, and also to uplift uh, those who may not necessarily have had access, um, you know, otherwise. And I just want that to continue to grow and expand and have a greater impact. Um, to where I can ultimately, hopefully, at one point, fully fund, you know, a student's education uh, going into STEM. But, uh, you know, small steps, but we're building up. Awesome uh, explanation about uh, the STEM program and the scholarship for your mom. You know, I could only imagine um, that, this, that she's smiling, you know what I'm saying? And she's proud um, because she knows that, uh, you know, her son is doing his part. You know what I'm saying? So I could only imagine. I lost my my dad um not as early as you, but but I, I did lose him and, and and I think about him all the time and I know you do your mom. So again, I know she's smiling. Um Cedric, what social issues uh are most important to you? Uh I mean definitely thinking about and you know, of course there's always a, a story attached to everything, but in terms of education and how it relates there is the school to prison pipeline is definitely something that has always sat with me. Um, you know, of course, talking to mm -hmm. about the greater issue of mass incarceration and understanding what that is and how it looks and, and what we're fighting against, um, especially thinking about young black men and the experiences that I've had as, as an educator and just as a, a student, even myself in school. And when I really take a step back it's 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 really it's hard but at the same time i i find like small like fragments um of rec of recognition of like 
why I know that I'm doing the right thing, if that makes sense, and why it's tied to that particular issue. I actually started out teaching third grade. And if anybody's familiar with, you know, the the context of the school to prison, school to prison pipeline, excuse me, is uh, the idea is that third grade test scores, standardized test scores are actually looked at. And and that's the information that is then used and kind of looked at in in correlation to, you know, prisons and and the number of beds and and all of those things. So for me, it just always registered differently thinking about that because not only did I start out teaching in third grade, my first class was heavily, my first homeroom was heavily young men. I had 17 students, 13 boys, four girls. They're all black students. And you just see the cycles over and over again. You know, I saw the same cycles growing up, even within my own family, um, you know, loved ones close to me, being caught up in that. And my ultimate goal is thinking about, well, you know, how do I disrupt that? And, you know, that's the one thing that has really always kind of just sat with me is just, you know, the the issues around mass incarceration and, and also ultimately how it really affects young men and, and what it what it looks like early on before it even gets to the point of, you know, your 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 life is basically taken from you. Um, so. Right. Have you ever had any of your students track you down and say, Mr. Scott? Yo, I got to tell you, man, you 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 really helped me out. I, I wasn't excited about math or school, but it was something kind of like Mr. Preston and Mr. Bynum did for you. Have you ever had a kid, a, a former student reach out to you like that? Yeah, only when, you know, if, you, if you're out and about, I've had that. Um, where they, <laughs> And it, it always mm-hmm. happens at like the most random place. Um, you know, you're, you're in a restaurant or something like that. And. I mean, in my particular context, uh, it was, you know, a parent recognized me. Oh, that's that's Mr. Scott. And then from there, it's kind of like, you know, not necessarily just the student themselves, but, you know, you get the family where it's like, oh, man, this is, you know, this is what I'm doing now. And and it's those those stories are, you know, amazing to hear, like, you know, kids you had in you know third grade, they're in middle school, high school now and, you know, doing what you had hoped that they are doing and and you hear you know you know i got a job and i'm (laughs) you know i'm playing on the on the basketball Mm -hmm. team or or what have you but um yes so those experiences do happen and um you know it whenever they do i mean you gotta you gotta store that in your memory bank because you know when things get difficult that's what you want to pull out in your registry and, and really think about boom that's right. So, you know, you were talking a few minutes ago about um, preparing kids for jobs that don't even exist yet versus preparing kids to create jobs that don't exist. And I'm telling you, you know, what, what you talked about is a mindset change. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's a shift in mindset. And, it, and as you were talking about it, it made me remember uh, my parents and what they used to say to me. Hey, Kevin, you can do anything you want to do. The sky's the limit, right? That's what they used to say. And so when I had kids, you know, I grew up on the sky is the limit. 
when I had kids, I was telling my kids, there is no limit. There's no ceiling to the sky. You can go, you know what I'm saying? You can go as high as you want to go. You can do anything you want to do. And so I think so many times part of breaking those cycles you're talking about is changing the mindset, changing the mindset. So I got to ask you, if you could write a book or create a program that would ultimately bring everybody together, when I say everybody, I mean everybody, what would the title of that book or that app or whatever you, that content, what would that title be? Wow. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing question. I think if, if I had to create, I, and I'll, I'll go with a book. I'll go with a book title. The, I guess, and maybe this is throwing a monkey wrench in the situation too, but um, what I would ultimately want to do is I would want to write the book. And I, I mean, to give it a title, I would like to title it Life As We Know It. But what I think would be more impactful, more powerful, if it's going to bring people together, is that it, I think it should actually compose and be comprised of shared experiences. So I want to hear from everybody. And then we can take those pieces, those components, and create that book, Life As We Know It, to where you're getting the shit, you know, the shared kind of mission behind production of it, but you're also going to have different viewpoints and perspectives, which is what I ultimately I think brings anybody together, is the respect and appreciation for somebody else's perspective. And ultimately getting to a point where you don't necessarily have to agree with everything and with everyone, but there has to be common ground. And when there's not common ground, that's where we see a lot of these issues. So that's that's kind of where I would go with that. Um, you know, just thinking about bringing people together, you know, life as we know it, you know, heavy emphasis on the we, because even, you know, us being black men, you know, my experience is not your experience. And we can learn a lot from each other, even though we look alike, our walk is not the same walk. So why not make sure that people are able to provide their own narrative? And yeah, that's that's where I would I would land with that one. Cedric, I gotta tell you, man, that's that is pretty heavy. Life as we know it. So I'm gonna challenge you. You need to write that book. I wanna be a part of the project. I wanna be a part of that project. Because what you're saying is so dope. You see six, I see nine, right? We all we all got a different perspective. We all got a different perspective. And the only way and I said it at the beginning, for us to move together is if we all move together. You know, saying we got to be together. One group can't move forward and leave that. We all have to find a way to do it together. And and I think the common denominator that you alluded to, you didn't say it, but you said we all have something in common. And for me, that one thing in common that we all have is humanity. You know what I'm saying? We're all human. And if we start there, we won't mess up. But we start with religion. We start with politics. We we start with skin color. We you know, and and we. But if we go back to the basics, and and lean on that common denominator, which is humanity again, I think uh, we'll be all right. Cedric, I'm not gonna lie to you. I could sit here and talk to you all night long. This has been a dope episode. I really appreciate you. Would Almost you definitely. Back? Whenever you're ready, let me know. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. So. I know you're doing great things. I know you out there pushing your content and building apps and doing different things. How can someone find you and find out about the great things? Sure, definitely. I am definitely on social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, 
And my tag there is at EduHustle. It's at E-D-U-H-U-S-T-L-E, which is actually, in addition to these things, another brand that I, I have in, in support of educators. Um, so you can definitely check that out. Um, and one thing I want to actually throw out there in, in tandem with this is it's it's really important for us to think about ownership um, in a lot of different ways. And one of those is actually through domains um, being your name. So you can also check me out at cedricscott.com. Um, have that name registered as well. Um, and outside of that, um, you can look into uh, eduhustle.com, E-D-U-H-U-S-T-L-E.co, actually, .co, C-O. Um, but yeah, um, anywhere you know on the web, check me out. I'm there looking to support and help out however I can. Edu Hustle. Edu Hustle. I love that. Edu Hustle. That's pretty dope. So before we sign off, please tell me to, in, the, in the listening audience, the three characters that you developed uh, and created earlier. Those three Definitely, characters. Definitely, yeah. So time. actually there's five. Um, there are three that, yeah. Okay, so put them out there. The other two, working on names, uh, but I'll throw out what I have. Um, so right now um, in the Melanated Mathematics Financial Literacy Bundle, as I call it, you have Managing Money with Mindful Michael. You have Real Estate with Resourceful Rissa. And you have Stocks with Studious Stacy. And I'm continuing to build out. Um, I have two more characters coming out um, that are going to be based in a couple of other aspects, talking about credit and some other things. But, um, but yeah, you can definitely check out those three right now. Uh, and the content is readily available in print and digital format. That's what's up. Again, Cedric, man, I, I thank you for what you're doing for our young people. Uh, it's game. It's it's, and I'm telling you, if it hadn't happened yet, it is going to happen. What you're doing is a game changer. People just need to hear about it and 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 figure it out. But thank you for your service. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for what you do for our young people. Hats off to you. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm proud to even be associated with you. And I, and I am going to get you back on here. All right. But until next time, thank you for tuning in. This is the 21st episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. And as long as you keep listening, me and my guests are going to keep talking. All right. I'm Kevin Waits. I'll see you next time. Peace. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits Podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production.